1: The eyes of the world, the eyes of the populations of the world are on you and we have your numbers.
2: That lingering century leaves remain
1: and we'll see what comes next. We need to make sure that what sits there on a piece of paper is actually going to turn into tangible, actionable projects on the ground that are going to make a difference to people's lives.
2: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke.
3: Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. So, a humiliating defeat for Boris Johnson and the Conservatives. The Liberal Democrats have overturned a huge majority to win North Shropshire, a seat held by the Tories since 1832. Helen Morgan won the by-election by almost 6,000 votes.
0: Instead of taking action to help Shropshire's NHS, you spend time seeking questionable donations to refurbish your flat. Instead of taking action to support Shropshire's farmers, you spend your time misleading the nation on how you and your office parted during lockdown.
2: Oliver Dowden, the chairman of the Conservative Party, admitted that voters were fed up and they gave us a kicking in his words, but he still has every confidence in Boris Johnson's leadership.
3: Voters in North Shropshire were fed up and they gave us a kicking. And I think they wanted to send us a message and I want to say as chairman of the Conservative Party, we've heard that loud and clear. Well, Lib Dem leader Sir Ed Davies said that ministers should listen to what people are saying.
1: They were telling me that they don't think Boris Johnson is a decent person, not a decent person to lead our country. And frankly, I think the people of North Shropshire have sent in a letter of no confidence to the Conservatives in 1922 committee.
2: And veteran Tory MP Roger Gale was also critical.
4: He's got about three weeks now to regroup. And he's going to have to do that very fast indeed. We've had two strikes. First of all, the Conservative Party in the House of Commons earlier this week. Now this result, one more strike, and I think he's out.
3: Well, joining us now to discuss the day's action is uh, Nicholas Allen, Professor of Politics at Royal Holloway University of London. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for joining us today, Nicholas. Now, what was the message that voters were sending? Was this uh, simply uh, a kicking for the Prime Minister, or was it something uh, more complicated than that?
4: I think it was a fairly simple kicking for the prime minister and the governing Conservative Party. It's a shocking result for the Conservatives. It was talked about, it was speculated that this could well happen, but even so, when it's finally, uh, that it has happened is itself, I think. um, bit of a car crash for the prime minister coming at the end of a dreadful few weeks
2: mm. the conservatives though uh say that you know this is a one-off this is mid-term this is a protest vote uh, perhaps it doesn't have quite such seismic implications bigger implications
4: by elections are usually more important i think for how the politicians respond to them in, rather than a safe guide as to how voters are going to behave in a general election. I think that's certainly true. And what really matters now is how the Conservative Party itself responds to this defeat. There are going to be a lot of Conservatives who are increasingly sceptical about the Prime Minister's ability to bounce back, increasingly sceptical that he is the vote winner that he clearly was back in 2019, sceptical about his ability to reach out to parts of the country that conservatives have traditionally been unable to reach out to, and indeed skeptical about his ability to reach parts of the country that have always been reached by the Conservative Party. And I guess, finally, the you know, skepticism about his suitability to do the job. Uh, so I think what really matters and why this is important is the context in which it's occurred, and that is the context of you know, some pretty bad uh, press, pretty Pretty bad circumstances for the prime minister in the last few weeks.
3: Mm. And interesting, the contrast with the the Bexley by election, which of course is is also very recent, where uh, Labour failed to make uh, a serious dent in in the Conservative performance, and they were quite pleased to hold on there relatively comfortably.
4: Yeah, I mean the the two things about Shropshire, I suppose. Firstly, it was a different kind of election. It wasn't caused by the tragic death. Of an incumbent MP, it was caused by the resignation of the out- of Owen Patterson for scandal, for sleaze, for breaking the House of Commons uh, code of conduct. It was caused, as well, of course, by the government's pretty disastrous support for friends uh, of Owen Paterson's attempt to pretty much overturn the proceedings, or at least try to. Try to alter them some way. So the, the government shone a spotlight on Owen well, no, Paterson by allowing uh, Andrew Leadsom and others to go ahead to try to um, revise, potentially revise, the the Parliamentary commissioner's findings. And, of course, in addition to that, there was a sleaze associated with Paterson. There's all these allegations around Downing Street parties and so on that have further shone a spotlight on the Prime Minister's own... Um, really con- control of, of his own house, and just really sort of a, a reputation for dishonesty. So there was, the, the context was, I think, very different. Also, this was a by-election in which we saw the Liberal Democrats once again returning to their traditional role, as I think Austin Mitchell, the former Labour MP, once described it, as the spit bucket of British politics. So <laughs> the Lib Dems really sort of refinding their role that they they once performed so well, I think, in the 1990s, in which conservative voters in particular, or at least some conservative voters, uh, could turn to them, reluctant to turn to Labour, and cast a vote, essentially as a protest vote, um, to the Lib Dems. Large numbers of conservative voters obviously, of course, just stayed away from the polls and didn't bother voting at all. Yes. But, I mean, that's sort of the the two key things that are different, I guess, about uh, this, this vote and the Bexley vote, is the where the votes went and obviously the context as well.
2: Yeah. Um, And also, I mean, to go back to your point around the response from the Conservative Party, from the Prime Minister, it does sound as if, at least in some of the clips that we've heard from Oliver Dowden and others, that Tories do accept that this was a rebuke. So, you know, they almost came out straight away and said that this morning. So there is an acceptance will that make a difference in terms of you know what happens in the weeks and months ahead?
4: Uh, voices within the Conservative Party, the Parliamentary Party, have been talking for some time about Boris Johnson's failings. Uh, I mean, Roger Gale had already gone on record before the by-election results, saying that if um, if it if this has happened, then people would. Seriously worried about um, about talking about a leadership contest or something something like that. So, yes, he
2: said it to us here on Bloomberg Radio. In fact, not. not. Yeah, so, so I ago. mean,
4: it's you know, so he had to say what he did this morning because he'd already sort of stuck his neck out about the by-election. I think you know, it's, it's first the first thing to to bear in mind is it's very very difficult to unseat a sitting party leader, particularly when they're prime minister. It's difficult because they need to get fifteen percent of the parliamentary party to request votes of, um, to request a vote of no confidence to the Conservative 1922 committee, then of course, if that was triggered, then more than half of Conservative MPs would need to vote, um, express a vote of no confidence. It is very, very difficult to do that, even more so when you're actually in government, because I guess when you're in opposition, as Ian Duncan Smith found back in 2003, you've got a bit more luxury to chop and change leaders. But when you're leader is also prime minister particularly the prime minister of a government that is struggling with a very very difficult public health challenge there's going to be a, a lot of reticence and reluctance to to take that step so you know it is very very difficult to unseat um, a sitting leader that that's the most important thing i think that needs to be stressed Clearly... what is damaging for the conservative party though is if the frustrations anger with the prime minister begin to fester and build up. Then you're going to find, I think, a situation where the party will appear increasingly disunited. Uh, I mean, it looks very disunited at the moment over, um, particularly in the wake of the rebellions earlier this week around the COVID restrictions. But if more and more people become disgruntled about Boris Johnson's leadership and they're unable to do anything about it because it's so difficult to remove him, then the party, I think, risks becoming increasingly fractious and divided.
3: Hmm. It's, Clearly it's been, it's it been
4: will a, be very difficult to get rid of him.
3: It's been a rotten end to a rotten few weeks, hasn't it, for, for Boris Johnson? But it, it, Absolutely. It doesn't quite feel like, it's not quite like the John Major days yet, though, is it? It isn't that sort of relentless month-in, month-out bad news or because it's been week in week out bad news and uh, of course with John Major there was a, there a string of terrible by-election losses like this and uh perhaps this will be the first of many but it, it is it is only well there have been two bad by-election by- losses haven't there in, in over the course of of two years I don't feel like we're, we're quite there yet
4: probably not John Major had a much smaller majority I John Major I mean I, I suppose it depends how much of the narrative of, or the concerns around um, partying, breaking lockdown restrictions, divisions over COVID, how long this all goes on for. But there is there is actually, I think, a risk that we see very much um, similar unfolding of events as we saw in John Major's premiership after the nineteen ninety uh, two general election. In that, there is one issue. In this case, it's COVID. Back then. I suppose it was particularly Europe, but there is one issue around which large sections of the parliamentary party are out of kilter with, if you like, the, the leadership, in this case, going along with um, witty and others in terms of introducing COVID restrictions. And there is also concern about people's propriety in the Conservative Party. In this instance, though, it's the prime minister's integrity and propriety that is um, being questioned that was never really the case with John Major and then yeah, so I sp- <laughs> give it enough time it could well end up playing out like that so okay. we, we are in early we are in early sort of territory at the moment but it it's not impossible to rule that sort of thing out
0: From Silicon Valley to Wall Street top researcher doctor Faye Fei-Fei Li of Stanford, and many more. More details and just a few tickets left at bloomberg.com slash techsf.
3: In today's special program, we're analysing the fallout from the North Shropshire by-election, the 34% swing from the Conservatives to the Liberal Democrats, the third biggest in any by-election this century.
2: Well, let's get more with our guest Joseph Silk from Bright Blue, which describes itself as an independent think tank for liberal conservatism. Joseph, good to have you on the show. What will conservative backbenchers, do you think, take away from this result as we kind of digest and dissect the win for the Liberal Democrats?
1: So it's clearly an absolute disaster. On the one hand, it's normal for incumbent governments to lose by elections midterm. Um, and the Liberal Democrats have historically been very good at winning those. Uh, but the scale of this defeat in a true blue territory that voted, I think, 60 percent to leave the European Union should be a big warning to the, to the prime minister himself, but also the party. Um, it's also that this was a completely unnecessary by-election. If Owen Paterson had just accepted his, his rightful punishment, he could be back in the commons Yes, as a diminished figure, but still as an MP. Instead, Boris Johnson marched his troops up the hill to shoot themselves in the face and then marched them back down again, and now he's also lost the constituency to the Lib Dems. It, it's, it's mind-boggling.
3: <laughs> how much of this do you think was, was a vote against uh, the, the Paterson affair and, and the, uh, the allegations of, of corruption, etc., and how much of this is wider discontent uh, with, with, the, with the way the government's running?
1: I'm not a party uh, campaigner, but my understanding from people on the ground is that it was still winnable after the scandals with Owen Paterson. They're on the ground, the response was OK and they thought they would hold it. But Partygate completely blew that up um, and it's had a significant impact. And it's not difficult to believe that the prime minister might have cost his party uh, this election. And that's a big problem because Boris is a PM um, who people think is a winner. And he's proven that many times in the past. But if he starts to look like a loser, the party could easily start to look for a new leader. And I might say with very little sentimentality involved.
2: Okay, little sentimentality. Well, 15%, though, of Tory MPs would need to put a letter in to the 1922 committee in order to force such a leadership election. Um, What's your sense of how close we are then to those Fifty-four MPs having to uh, having to write to uh, the 1922 committee.
1: I think as dissatisfied as some MPs might be, they would be hesitant to put in letters now uh, because of the situation with the pandemic. I think it would look completely out of touch and self-indulgent if MPs triggered a leadership election when we're in the middle of a massive wave uh, from Omicron. Um, it tended to be true that the Prime Minister is more popular with the Conservative members than, than MPs. Uh, although last month's uh, Conservative home polling of members showed that he's even now in negative territory with them, uh, I wouldn't, however, expect a leadership challenge, if there is one at all. I mean, he could bring it back, but if there if there were to be one, I wouldn't expect it until um, the spring when this wave of, of coronavirus has subsided.
3: COVID aside, the, the Prime Minister presumably still has a fair bit of... Uh um you know electoral he's still got a bit of credit in the bank hasn't he from that massive win two years ago that that 80 seat majority that must buy him a bit more time with with mps yes
1: absolutely i mean i I don't want to you know oversell if boris johnson can survive this period everybody in the party wants him to succeed um, nobody was was blind to his flaws when they elected him to be a leader and they can tolerate some uh, degree of, of scandal as long as he can deliver and he needs to crack on with delivering uh, principally leveling up uh, unfortunately the leveling up white paper has been delayed until the new year uh, but hopefully we'll, we'll see that soon and there have been some issues with for example the scaling back of hs2 um the, the danger for the prime minister is that he Uh, when it comes to these left-behind areas, they feel that he has actually delivered for them like he promised. And simultaneously, he he sort of alienates the South. And so he's got to make sure that he does deliver for those left-behind areas, principally through levelling up, uh, whilst also uh, convincing those in the South that he's still on their side.
2: Okay, And it does feel like a dangerous moment for the Prime Minister, not least because we're in a current situation now where it, it feels like a lockdown, but it isn't. Rishi Sunak has had to cut short his trip from California to come home a day early in order to talk to businesses. He did speak to them also when he was in the US. But there is an absolute clamor now for more support from business. What is your sense about how much support there's actually going to be about the strength of that position? You know, support for businesses during the pandemic now versus this real reluctance that seems to be emerging amongst Tory MPs against tax rises.
1: I think we'll have to see at least targeted support, particularly for the hospitality sector that's going to suffer really badly. A lot of sectors can continue uh, to uh, function, um, even if we have as uh, big a, a bigger wave as we're expecting. Um, I think the, the, the problem for the prime minister in general is that he just needs to be able to stress test his political strategies. Um, when it comes to uh, the standards procedures, when it comes to party gates, where they have all this denial and obfuscation, that's clearly made things worse. And he just needs people around him who can help guide him towards making decisions that will be politically palatable.
3: Do you think the party is ideologically rudderless now? We've got big tax rises coming down the line. We've got big uh, spending increases coming down the line. This isn't this isn't traditional conservatism, is it?
1: Um, Well, it depends what you mean by traditional conservatism. I mean, there have been uh, big spending conservative governments in the past. People think of Hal Macmillan, for example. Um, Obviously, it's against the Thatcherite consensus since the 1980s, and that's what put some people off. Uh, But there is a tradition of of what Boris Johnson would call one-nation conservatism, which does fit into this mould.
2: Okay, so what about the ideological split then also that seems to be emerging in terms of liberty, a lack of COVID restrictions, um, you know, uh, versus the the health crisis, of course, that the prime minister again is dealing with. And that was the source of the big rebellion of 99 MPs, um, you know, that we saw just a few days ago that was perhaps also an issue playing out in the by-election results. So there's a big split here, isn't there?
4: I think the, the, the main split
1: really is between the public and Conservative MPs. Actually, the public seems to be quite supportive of these public health measures. They see them as necessary. It's Conservative MPs rather than the government who seem to be more out of touch. So um, I think you're right that I think it was the, the largest rebellion uh, apart from the, the vote on uh, Theresa May's uh, Brexit deal the first time around the first meaningful vote. So clearly, a massive problem for the Prime Minister. And it raises questions about whether or not if Omicron gets even more serious and he decides that they need to bring in tougher restrictions, closing down certain venues, restricting household mixing, whether he'll be able to get that through. He can probably rely on the opposition for that support, but that's not a good position for a Conservative Prime Minister to be in.
0: Mm.
3: How serious is the rift between the Red Wall Conservatives, the the Tories who won their seats for the first time two years ago, and the traditional Southern MPs? Is Is that fault line still pretty serious?
1: I don't think it's that serious. I think the issue is levelling up is still very nascent in its development. I think you can make it perfectly clear that levelling up the north and and the Midlands doesn't mean levelling down the south. I just think that because levelling up hasn't been developed uh, quick enough, uh, there's still a bit of ambiguity and some people in the south might feel as if it's something which might be a detriment to them. I don't think that's the case. Hopefully when we get the levelling up white paper, we'll be able to make more progress on that.
2: Well, I mean, sheesh. N- nascent in development. Leveling up is a slogan from two years ago. I mean, yes, I admit that it's you know we've had this enormous health crisis in the meantime, mm. but it still strikes me as in- you know incredibly strange that it's 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 an idea with no kind of uh, no research behind it really.
1: You're you're not wrong. Um, I think that. There are now good people working on the agenda, Neil O'Brien, Michael Gove, obviously. Um, And so I think that in the new year, we will start to see it really pick up. I I hope so. Uh, But so far, yes, it it has been, unfortunately, a very slow progress.
3: Your think tank uh, says it's it's in favour of liberal conservatism. What what are the prospects for liberal conservatives at the moment? And and are they improved by uh, Boris Johnson's star-fading?
1: Um, I, I'm not sure about that. Um, I think that one of our big focuses of the think tank, uh, which we think is very important uh, for modernising conservatism, is the focus on uh, decarbonisation and net zero. And to be fair for the Prime Minister, he's been very good at that. And I think that the Conservatives have done a great job of really uh, taking on that agenda. It's not really a political uh, issue in the same way that it is in, in other countries, in, in the United States, in France, etc. Uh, so that's been a really key uh, success, I think, for Conservatives
2: something that we're very happy with as the think tank. OK. Uh, as we go into uh, the recess, these next few weeks are going to end up perhaps being quite crucial uh, in terms of the, the health crisis. Is it is there going to be any time, I suppose, for the prime minister to go away and have a think about this electoral defeat or for conservatives to go away and do that too? Or is... You know, are we simply going to be in the midst of a, of a health crisis that won't give that much space? I suppose I'm asking, what, what do you anticipate in the next couple of weeks? How active are MPs going to be?
1: I think MPs can be very active. I mean, he essentially seems to have promised them um, in the 1922 committee that if he does these bring in new restrictions, he will recall parliament. And that'll be very important. Uh, whether or not he'd be able to pass those restrictions is another matter. I mean, he's got to think about it. He can't be overtaken by events. Uh, Prime ministers are meant to uh, control and set events. They're not meant to be overtaken by them. That was the problem uh, with Theresa May. She was completely uh, swept away uh, by the Brexit saga. And Boris Johnson can't let that happen um, to him over coronavirus because he has all of these important ambitions he needs to deliver on. I mean, on Theresa May, I think it's worth pointing out that Theresa May was prime minister for three years. Boris Johnson so far has managed... Uh, I think almost two and a half. It would be extraordinary if uh, he somehow lost less time than Theresa May, despite winning a majority of her, losing her. I don't think that will happen. I think he will survive this. Uh, But yeah, he does have to bear that in mind.
3: Bloomberg Westminster. Listen weekdays at noon on DAB Digital Radio in London.